it's almost like you're not taking full advantage of your life if you're just being a girl. And I think there's so much strength in like the strengths that men and women have. And I just saw like a dress as a symbol as like being up and like being able to do anything but like in a dress. So I decided to focus on dresses and then it was the Virginia Dare Dress Company. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Brands at Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davy Jones. Today's guest is Rebecca Murray, founder of Virginia Dare Dress Co. I was really looking forward to this interview because I haven't interviewed a dress designer on the podcast before. And let me tell you, I was not disappointed. While we generally spend some time hearing about our guest's entrepreneurial journey, we spend nearly the entire episode listening to how Virginia Dare Dress Co. came to be. It was fascinating to hear Rebecca's story and about all the different pieces that have to come together in clothing design. I should also mention that there's some construction going on at our neighbor's house, so I apologize if you hear a little bit of that in the background. But otherwise, I think, or I hope, that you enjoy Rebecca's story just as much as I did. Be sure to check out the show notes at davyandchrista.com for the resources we mentioned during the episode. And I want to hear from you. Let me know what kind of content you'd like to see on the Brands of Book podcast as we move forward. To leave your feedback, head on over to the Davy and Krista Facebook page and send us a message or send us a message on Instagram at Davy and Krista. Now, on to the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Brands at Book Show. I'm here with founder of the Virginia Dare Dress Company, Rebecca Murray. And Rebecca, I think you are the very first clothing dress <laughs> maker. Yeah, I don't know. What's the proper title here? Dress designer? Dress designer. I'm not the one physically like myself hand sewing each garment, but I do everything from picking the fabric and the shape and you know the fit all the way through. So designer, founder, that would be probably the most appropriate. Yeah. Awesome. I'm excited to dig in because I think with a business like yours, there's so many different facets to it that we don't typically talk about on the podcast since we're talking mostly on the podcast about, you know, I mean, uh, service-based businesses like photographers, planners, et cetera. So designers. So I'm excited to dive into what all goes into building a clothing company or a dress company. Before we do that though, we need to get to know you a little bit more. So <laughs> tell us where you started. I know your background's in photography. And it's funny, I feel like I have so many guests on here who have a background, even if they're what they're not doing now is photography, their background is there. You know, that mm-hmm. was our background was we started a wedding photography business before we started Davy and Krista. And it's just so prevalent. I wonder why that is. That's a really good point. I mean, I think I like to say, I think either being a photographer or an accountant before launching any other company is going to be like the biggest help to your business because either finance or like imagery are going to be such a big cornerstone of building any kind of company. So I think 
it ends up being such a huge help to have that skill, to have the equipment. Um, typically, photographers know lots of other photographers, so then they have their help in getting mm-hmm. started. But especially with anything that's going to be really visual or through social media, I think just having a strong image background plays a big role. But I've also heard that it also makes people have more like aesthetic-driven businesses once they already have that background in crafting imagery and understanding, you know, beautiful things in composition. So maybe it's just a similar path that creatives are drawn to because it's like a practical way to be creative. And then it can, in both of our cases, um, easily tangent off into something else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I definitely think that's true. And it's so interesting. We get inquiries from all sorts of businesses. Recently, we got one from a landscape company. We've done websites for home builders, interior designers, even though that's not too far off the beaten track as far as like the typical mm-hmm. people that we work with. But I think they do. They look at a lot of these photography websites that we put together that are very image centric. And they're like, yep. you know, the people in my industry, you know, the people that are typically designing landscapers' websites look very different. You know, <laughs> people who are typically designing doctors' websites look very different. So it's always fun to work on a project for somebody like that. But anyways, enough about that. Talking about your background. So photography business came first, right? Or did it start even before then? I mean, I was just definitely one of those really creative people kind of all my life. I grew up loving to just be creative in any way. I just like to, even early on, I remember having this like distinct thought of like, in my life, I like to like make things pretty and like meet people. And that was kind of always like the two things that I was just like, this is what I know that I like and that I want to always do. What kind of photography was definitely the first thing for me though. And that really came through my dad. He had been a photographer back like even in the 60s working in New York and he's a really good storyteller. So I just always grew up like with these kind of really glamorous sounding stories of what photography was like, like back in that heyday. And it just seemed like photography opened these, like, you know, peeled back this curtain, opened this door into this different kind of world and the kind of work that you would get to do with it. And I kind of wanted to become like a photojournalist or like be a war photographer or something that I would not have been good at. But I just had this, like this longing to get to work in a field where I could really create something and create it with people. So it was really through my dad. And then this all started back when I was in high school. So this is probably about 15 plus years ago. He got back into photography just as a side job, but it was like just when digital was like on the scene. I remember we went to a camera store and like saw the very first Canon Rebel. And it was like, that is what we were saving up for. It was like probably like two megapixels, but it was like this whole new thing. And that got me really excited. So he decided to like reinvest in go with photography, partly for his own work, but partly he thought it was something we could do together and it could be maybe an open door for me since I did have a love for just creative work. I do remember specifically telling myself I would never be a wedding photographer because that just sounded <laughs> like a terrible idea. I grew up kind of like a little bit more of a tomboy. I only had brothers and I was like brides being crazy and like this is just not going to be a good fit. So like anything but, but, you know, famous last words. So like all through high school, I just started doing photo shoots for friends. And then, you know, as it goes, a friend of a friend and then a few friends asked me to shoot their wedding. And I was probably like 19, was just kind of like up for anything. And then around the same time, I also ended up getting a job working for a local wedding photographer. She still did a lot of like old school studio work and needed someone to help her like in the transition from film to digital, which is so funny because so many photographers are now switching from digital. like Yeah. And that, but that's what we did. Right? <laughs> it's just, it's funny to see, but it was a really exciting time. And I didn't think I would do photography for my work. I'd started going to college for graphic design and was just kind of like 
doing a little of everything at the time with photography and design because I thought design would be a lot more practical way to like not have to shoot weddings and sure. you know, make a living. But then I ended up getting to do some weddings and I just really loved it. And it wasn't anything like what I expected, partly because just the people I worked with were friends who were like up for having fun and weren't the kind of people I kind of feared in my mind. Mm -hmm. So that was, I mean, probably like 14 years ago now. And I started working for this wonderful woman who was a really just incredible mentor. It was kind of like an apprenticeship. I mean, I had no idea about really anything, but I had good equipment from my dad. I think it was like the D2X at the time. So we like we got like really good gear and I was able to shoot with her for years, manage all the back end computer studio editing work, which really taught me a lot about editing and speed and just managing a business. And then also doing my own friends weddings at the time and then being in school. And eventually it just seemed like, well, college is not like not needed. So I didn't finish school. I just focused on working. I really love to work wasn't super enthused about being in school. Sure. And that was really helpful because it gave me a really nice head start to like go full time into a photography business. I guess I was like 20 or so um, when it was like, I don't know, just like bubbling up as like what digital could be. Like I remember when Lightroom came out and it was like, oh, I no longer have to edit each image by hand. <laughs> and I was like young and just like had so much energy, which is just, I feel so old saying that, but like it was just an exciting time to kind of dive in. And then I got to start doing some travel weddings, which really opened like all the doors that I'd hoped for. Um, just getting to do some travel work for destination weddings or for, you know, meeting clients who live in other parts of the world even. And that just was a really special experience because I mean, it just let me travel in a way sure, that I wouldn't sure. have able to otherwise. And then the more you travel and get to share photos of, you know, fun adventures, the more people are likely to hire you to do a similar thing. So that just kind of was a domino effect of like a really fun thing. And I got to shoot weddings around the world even and then made good friendships with those people who I could then just go and visit for fun, which played a big role in work later on. So that was like, I don't know through my mid twenties and was just really like all I focused on, I just threw myself into it. And it was just like really special work that I'll always be so, like, so thankful to have gotten to do. Yeah. I mean, a few things, one, such a great uh, position that you were in, in terms of having some sort of mentor or, you know, I mean, especially at that age, uh, just, and you know, when you're in your early twenties, it's just a different ball game, right? Like you don't <laughs> just naturally don't have as much responsibility and there's not, maybe there's not as much weight to the decision of like, you know, oh, should I go full-time with this? If you had waited maybe until three years after you graduated school and had already gotten maybe a more traditional nine to five, right? right? So I think you're right. It is just such a special time. And then a time where you can just kind of go after things like that. We have a couple of friends who decided to forego college and just start mm -hmm. their businesses. And it's been, it ended up being a great decision that they've made, you know, and Chris and I, I mean, we're grateful for our college experience and our degrees and everything, but we graduated with a bunch of student debt, you know, yeah. <laughs> Chris, did, I mean, however, she had a degree in design. So of course she still uses that. Me on the other hand, don't use either of my two degrees, which were expensive. But anyways, I guess college or no college, uh, that's a conversation for another day. And I think that also really has to depend on the kind of person too, because mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I don't believe that, you know, no experience in life is necessarily like ever a wasted thing, even if yeah. it doesn't directly relate. I mean, the personal growth that we go through, through anything, um, and especially like higher education, like there is so much discipline needed for that, that people might not have the chance to really learn otherwise. Because in college, you are 
forced to go through that, where if you're more entrepreneurial, you kind of choose how far to push yourself. So I think I'm a big proponent for like not everyone needing to go to college, but I also see a definite purpose for it for the people who should and just how that can really help and grow their lives and just like their capacity more than if they hadn't. So I think it's a really personal decision that should be like thought through, but there's not just like one black and white, like everyone should or everyone shouldn't. Yeah, I think I 100% agree with that, especially like the insight around no experience ever being wasted for sure. So I think all that's great. I'm curious about kind of the transition though into dress design. <laughs> Where did that, Not you know, at what point? Kidding. Yeah, I mean, so at what point did that become uh, a direction? Oh man, so by accident. I mean, it's so strange to look back and just try to connect the dots. So it really came about through this whole season. So I... I mean, I was working a lot and there were some things with wedding photography, I'm sure as you and Krista can relate to that are really hard on your like personal life. You just, you miss a lot of you know your own friends' weddings. You work a lot of weekends. I would be very relational with my clients. So it meant like a lot of, you know, extra, you know, dinners or coffee dates or just kind of like really trying. I felt like with photography, it was so important to me to create something that was really unique to them, but I had to really know who they were to try to bring that out. So it just meant a lot of time spent on an individual basis with each client to try to like understand what made them a little bit different to then bring that to their photos, which I think is very noble and was very just how I work. But it's also very draining when you do that with so many clients year after year. Mm. And then at the same time, I mean, I was traveling a lot. It was like, I remember even one year, especially in my personal life, I'd been like dating someone really seriously. We were planning to get married and then kind of just I hit like a wall and we ended up breaking up and I just like went through then a really special season of like resetting. I think I'd been working for so long. And the funny thing with photography though, is it was always something I almost felt like I fell into by accident. I mean, I don't believe it was accidental, but it wasn't something that I set out to do. In fact, it was the one thing I'd set out not to do <laughs> very unsuccessfully. But whenever I would like think about my work, I would be very excited about it. But if I ever thought like, I'll be doing this in five years, it was like, oh, I don't know about that. Like it wasn't something I could like project long term and not like I'm a big like life planner. I mean, who knows what's coming in five years, but it wasn't like a kind of work that I could see myself like scaling. I didn't want to go the associate route. I got to teach some workshops. That was awesome. I got published a lot like that's cool. And I think I discovered even like the service versus product creative process is very different mm. with a service. We market ourselves and then if we're chosen, we go and do the work with a product we create the work and then we market it. And I think I really struggled with that being out of order for me. I wanted like more time to be creative. And with a wedding, you show up and you have those, you know, nine, 12 hours to be creative and then it's over. And then you have that one chance to put all of the development into it. And I really like to think and like work through creative projects for longer. So that coupled with a really rough breakup and I was like, I just need to get away from weddings. And then just like, I'm now like, I think I've been a full-time wedding photographer for like seven years. So I was like, I am at the point where I either need to like find a way to recommit to this and make it like work for me now or find something almost like go back to the beginning of like when I was trying to find out what I wanted to do, what would I have found if it hadn't been an accidental job interview that turned into like becoming a photographer really by accident. My getting a job for that photographer who mentored me was like, to fill in for one day because her shooter couldn't. And then it was like, oh, I want a job. I was like, okay, sure. Like, why not? So it was kind of through all this season, I took some time 
the following year to do a good bit of traveling because I had these, especially in the UK, so England and Scotland, I had past wedding clients who I could stay with. And I just, travel has always been for me, like if I have the money, I just love to just get away. And since I did so many destination weddings shooting by myself, I was like kind of used to just like getting on a plane, like hopefully having you know people I can stay with when I go there, but just taking time by myself to just like go and wander just to like wander around I'll go back to the same places and just like have time to like really reset I work really hard and a lot like when I'm working so when I'm not working I just want to like do nothing versus <laughs> like this season of life where I was traveling and then just trying to find something that like made me excited about work again and this I really credit to my really both my parents my parents are both creatives and they're both very entrepreneurial we just they're always like starting businesses and just kind of always wanting just to give things a try. Mm -hmm. And they raised us with like a sense of like, just find what you're interested in. Like my parents, they homeschooled us. I was homeschooled the whole way through, which was kind of not as done like back then, I guess. And the whole time, like her just goal in our education was like, find what you're interested in, like for the love, like please find something you really care about and we will help you like chase that. So for like a couple of years after this season, I was still shooting weddings, which has just been amazing. Like it's an amazing job to get to try out other things on the side because people won't even know you're doing it. I started like pursuing other things, like more of an art display route with anthropology, with like helping with their art displays in the store. That had been something I'd always wanted to like at least try. And then I started to pursue more fashion photography for like editorials, for magazines. And then I started doing more and more travel to like build a portfolio for more editorial work. And kind of this whole season was like kind of like a coming back to life, kind of coming back to like what my dreams had been before, like kind of a rough couple of years. And along the way, just as like a really insignificant little aside, I kept feeling like I want to go to pack for like a trip that was like a really exciting trip, like for something that was like a step closer to a goal. And I felt like a really like tangible, kind of like a very profound time of my life of just rebuilding a lot of things that had been broken. I almost felt like I didn't have the right clothes for like this new story my life was telling. And I know that sounds so ridiculous. There was like a purpose in this new direction. And I wanted to like fully belong to like this new chapter of my life. And I think part of it is like our identity is in a way expressed through like what we wear. And it was just like a silly little thought of like, I just need to get some dresses made because that will make these trips so much more like fun. And if I could just have something that like really is my personality and is like really easy to wear and I can just like look pretty, but just like kind of get on with my life, I'll just like find someone to make some dresses. And at this time, I'm still like kind of struggling on the work front because I'd spent a couple years trying out different jobs while still shooting weddings and just like hadn't found anything that stuck. It was still like, this is cool. Part of this is really cool. It's not quite it, what I can like really commit to. And then one night my mom was like, well, what if you started a clothing company? And I was like, well, I, I could. I was like, well, I had just actually been thinking, like funny you say that, I had just been thinking of getting some dresses made. And my dad was like, you know what? I was thinking of that too. And we had like a moment pause. And in my mind, like, I somehow knew, I was like, the rest of my life depends on like what I say next. And I was like, yeah, I could. And that night I Googled like, how do you start a fashion business? And I found a course and I watched it. And the next day I Googled something else and I watched that. 
but that first night, like I had never had with photography, like I really saw it like crystal clear. I saw like what I could build the business into because it was very much inspired by like the life I was living of loving like to travel and just like this desire for like a more beautiful life, not just because life's easy, but more like because we need like a beautiful life because life can be really hard. And it was like clothing was like one thing I could hold on to that if I could help other people kind of have even a slight transition in how they go about their day and in their life, like that would be such a a special way to help people. And it was more because like I needed it, not because I loved fashion or knew anything about fashion. Like it wasn't from a fashion perspective. It was really more from like a, what I wanted to do with my life. And I felt like not having the right clothing was almost holding me back. So it was like, I would never have seen it coming except that idea. But what really gets crazy though, and how it got really serious was something we had kind of never really paid attention to is that my grandfather had been kind of a legendary like fashion designer in New York City. And it had never been really a part of our life because he and my mom had a falling out when I was a kid. So he was never in my life. But a few months into this like idea where I'm just like starting to Google and read and research, we decide to go to New York for some fabric sourcing. And my mom decides she wants to reconnect with him. And that's when like, it gets crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's so many great, interesting I mean, special moments of that story. I mean, I think especially uh, as I listen to it, just your parents' role in that and their encouragement yeah. to, it's not as if you came or, I mean, not that you hadn't been thinking about it, but it was like your mom kind of drove this idea, which she is cool. She reminds me all the time. Yeah. You know, and your dad like jumping on board, like, yeah, this is, you know, this is idea I've been thinking about too. And so it's just, I think it's just such a special thing. I mean, it's special enough, I think, when we come up with ideas and our parents are like, yeah, that's great. You should chase it. But there's a whole sort of unique aspect to your story about their involvement. So that's pretty incredible. I'd love to hear though a little bit more about uh, how your, your reconnection with your grandfather kind of impacted the the rest of that story. Sure. So I think what's also really important about like my parents being so involved is like just having those people who know you best, like knowing what you can do, even if you don't really know it yourself. So with those first months, I knew I wanted to do it. I knew what it could look like. Maybe that's like a photographer mentality. Like I know what it can look like visually as this idea, like practically, like how do you get something made when you have like my only work experience has been like photography up to this point. I don't really even sew. Like I, it was just not even like a part of my life. So I didn't really have anything planned yet for like the logistics of getting something made. So we went up to New York for a sourcing trip. My first time to like, you know, go to the bigger fabric stores there. And I actually had some wedding clients who I, I would start to like tell people about the idea here and there. And I told some wedding clients and they had an apartment in New York and they were going on a long honeymoon trip. So they offered me to get to stay at their place while they were away. So we go and we go to his store. I'd just been curious about him. So I had gone up in high school once and just stopped by his store and like introduced myself as his granddaughter. And I just didn't really want a relationship with him. But my mom like really wanted to try to like make things right. And I just credit her with a lot of courage in doing this. But at that time when we went on the trip, I had like no plan for how to get things made, like the practical manufacturing part of it. Or even just like how to find someone to be like that mentor figure that is so important to have at the beginning. So we ended up going. It was this most 
movie-like moment walking into his store and he looks up at us and sees my mom and he asks her, is there anything I can help you with? And she like stares at him and he just like looks down back at his work and realizes he doesn't even recognize her. And we're just standing in his store. The weight of it was so intense. And we ended up, you know, introducing her. They sat down, they talked. It was like a really like heavy, like words so carefully chosen time. And then it kind of lifted and he's like, okay, well, let's get dinner. And also like, Rebecca, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I want to start a clothing company. And here he is surrounded by, you know, all of his work as a designer. He was a furrier. So he was an inventor. He had like nine patents for the way that he used materials. He had his own factory. It was like a whole city block in the garment district. He had his own company. Like we connected like in his, he was still working, but like in his late eighties or nineties. So not working like what it was before, but he had been in that industry his whole life. And here I come like, you know, with my big dreams and zero plans. And he's like, well, maybe I can help you. And we end up like that few day trip going to all these different fabric stores, like I bought a bunch of stuff to start working on the first samples. He had offered to like help with the pattern making, which is like the architect, like blueprint part of it ended up not being a good fit, but he had this like ancient Rolodex, like covered in dust and like 300 names in it. And he opens it and he's like, okay, someone owes me a favor. I'll, I'll make a phone call for you. And he calls this guy who was a few blocks away. who had a factory, like says that he's sending his granddaughter over and she wants to make dresses. <laughs> That's amazing. And so what happened? I mean, you head over there and, and this is this the guy that ends up helping you? We just like we raced down the streets with like our bags of fabric. And what was just so important is at this time, I don't know if I ever would have like figured out how to find these factories because like they don't have websites. They don't want yeah. to be found. They don't like working with new people. But I had this connection. So that was like my in. So we went to this place. We're standing in line and it's this, you know, crazy workroom and everyone's at sewing machines and there's this one Korean guy like yelling or working with people and we figure out that's the guy in charge and I see like what he's doing for other people as we're standing in line he's like taking their measurements and looking at sketches so I'm like oh I should have like a drawing so I stand in line and like I draw a dress and then he takes my measurements and just kind of he's so like matter of fact about it like he takes the fabric he does this he does this and he's like okay come back in two weeks and like then he's gonna start working on the pattern and that began like that kind of more mentorship development training period for the next year and a half. I would, I live just outside DC in Northern Virginia. So we're only about a four and a half, five hour bus ride away from New York. So I started just going up there all the time. I would you know, go up for a fitting, go up for sourcing, go up to check on something, discovered there are things called fabric trade shows and would just like show up there and try to, you know, not ask too many bad questions or dumb questions. And it just became this like new season where the more I worked at it, the more I knew I was going to start this company. It was still like too much that I didn't know on the design, on the manufacturing, on the pricing, on the business side of it. But it was just like this is it was like my one season to like think and write and take lots of buses to New York. And I would just sit like it was such a fun feeling like that same love of like traveling by myself, going somewhere new was like sitting on the bus and you know drawing pictures of dresses and figuring out what they were going to be called and trying to remember like, you know, what rayon was like, there are all these like small <laughs> technical things that were so hard to keep track of. And then like the big things of like, how do you make money? How do you, what do you charge? Um, but then along the way, 
And my mom would take a lot of these trips with me too, because it was like this way in to building a relationship with my grandfather because his store was in the garment district. So everything was like within these couple quarter blocks of, you know, the fabric stores, his place, the factory. And it just became this season of, you know, frequent trips up. So I was like telling friends, I'm going to start this company. And then like, as always, when you have a big idea, there's like, Ooh, but like, I don't know. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. So I long season of not being ready and some really good friends would just like you know kind of lean into that and be like when are you going to be ready like when are you going to do it when are you going to do it and finally probably about two years from when we first had the idea it was like the beginning of the year and I just knew it was like this year or never like if I don't really get something going I need to just like cut it and go because it was it was just time yeah so that year on good advice from another bride who had worked in supply chain before, she really recommended finding someone who was closer by for the development part because it's so iterative. Um, it would be easier to have something where I could you know, go frequently. So I found someone in DC to work with. And so beginning of that year, I worked on a new collection and then decided I would launch the company with a Kickstarter later that year. And so I started, like I bought a video camera and I started just filming little things of, you know, the day-to-day designing and work. And then later that September of that year, I launched a Kickstarter, which was how the company was like first presented to the world. Amazing. So uh, as far as like the kind of the mentoring that you got, was that from your grandfather or was that from the guy he connected you with? It was from both. The factory owner, his name was Richie. He was helpful in just kind of telling me what I needed to learn. So Mm. he's like, you need to learn how to make patterns. You need to be able either to make your own or to understand enough for the design process. So he would, and then I I made my first pattern and like, and he sewed that and he was like showing it off to all the the sewers there. He was so proud. So he was kind (laughs) of helpful in like telling me what I needed to get better at, like more directing my education. And then my grandfather, his industry and his like way of doing business was so different from how, you know, it's done today through the internet. You You know, it's just such a different world. So he... But like his best like advice at the beginning was like, you know, if it doesn't work, it's not going to break you. But he was also kind of a gruff man. He we kind of clashed on a lot. So he wasn't like my feel good mentor kind of sure. helper, but he would always want to know what I'm working on. And if anything, it really helped me to have like a lot of pushback for when I'm presenting an idea or talking about the aesthetics or the style or my vision to have someone be like, well, that's terrible. And to yeah. be like, you can think that I don't, and that's fine. But like not kind of letting that change your mind. So I think he really helped in me just, I guess, having more of a backbone. But then over the years, I mean, it was, he actually just passed away last year. So it was Oh, I'm sorry. Um, just a really sweet experience to get to be a part of his life, especially at the end, he got really sick and just getting to help with things. And then for him to see it be a success, and then just trying to keep reminding him that it's because of his participation. It was kind of a sad end to him because like the fur industry is just not what it was in the heyday. And I think he just had some regrets of like not being, maybe the success not lasting as long as it could have or should have. Mm-hmm. And just trying to help kind of pass along, like my success is an extension of his work and trying to honor him in that way, because it's true. I would not, I mean, I really can't take credit for anything, especially because my family has been so influential and, in, you know, making everything possible. So it's been special to kind of share you know, in any successes and 
having yeah. that help for learning. But good for you for, I guess, because there's a, a recognition that, you know, our, the way our, our parents or our grandparents did business is probably different than how we're doing business today, right? You know, I mean, there's yeah. this this whole online world that just, yeah. <laughs> that just wasn't present when your yeah. grandfather started his business. But at the same time, I think people are sometimes too quick to kind of write off like, okay, and just kind of say, oh, well, whatever worked for him wouldn't work for me. So good right. for you in reading between the lines and opening yourself up to you know, the advice that he was willing to give you, whether it was a little rough around the edges or a little <laughs> gruff or you know, whatever it might be. It's funny, like I was on a sales call the other day for my other business, Till, and my dad was around while I was on the call. And I got off the call, I was like, ah, oh, you know, that was a well, I won't share what the word I use, but I was like, <laughs> the call did not go well, not because of the client, but because I just felt like I didn't lead the call well. Right. And my dad turned to me and he just, you know, he gave me some advice and I was kind of like taken aback, like, wow. I mean, that was really good. That was really good advice. My dad was in sales for, you know, his entire life. And I shouldn't have been surprised that, yeah. you know, his advice was, was so insightful, but I guess I just figured like, oh, you know, what I do is so different than what he did, but his principles applied. So again, just to say uh, good on you for opening yourself up to that. You know, one of my questions was like, what were some of the biggest challenges in transitioning from wedding photography to clothing design? It feels like a silly question oh, uh, having, <laughs> and I feel like you covered it in just a, that story was just I mean, uh, just such an interesting way that I'm going to forego that question. But I do want to know how you came up with the business name, Virginia Dare Dress Co. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. And then I'd also love, just on a more practical note, you know, how did you even go about finding the manufacturer closer to you in D.C.? Mm. So starting with the name. So another part of the story, actually, which is just still so crazy. So my mom kind of brought up this idea a few years ago to actually like start a clothing company. Something else we had also forgotten though, back when I was like in high school, maybe like 15 or 16, like wasn't really like into school. Like most creatives, like we love to do what we want to do and hate to do everything else. Or maybe that's <laughs> just like a human nature thing. But they had a love of entrepreneurship and they just, they knew that people should just like chase what they're excited about because they'll put more work into it. Back in high school, like 10 years before, they had also had the idea for as a school project for me to take a year off school and start a clothing company just to like think through the designing and like create a catalog and like write stories, not like actually creating a tangible product, but like sure. to kind of build a business as like a project. And they had the idea to call it Virginia Dare. For those who don't know, Virginia Dare is the first English woman born in the new country. Her parents were some of the early settlers that came over from England and settled. And like as a symbol, there's just like an association with courage and you know bravery and adventure. And they were just themes that seemed very aligned with like life values. And then more personally, when they brought it up again, they still kind of had that. They just always loved that name. And we live in Virginia and just like the historical aspect of that. But then for me also, so much of how all this came to be was through frequent trips between like England and the U.S. And even kind of like finding a lot of contentment and restoration and home here. I went through a season where I was like really wanting to move to London and, you know, we kind of go through different seasons of where we just feel like we're not where we are meant to be. And that's like a, a hard transition point to go through and to like 
to come through of, but I felt such a belonging, like exactly for where I was, where I was living, like who I was, what I was working at. And it really felt like a really special, like second chance at redoing things I hadn't done well before. And then I just knew that like I had a passion for dresses because it was like this idea of like what you could do in a dress. Like you can climb, you know, you can go for a hike. You can like, you can like do anything in a dress, but still it could be feminine. And that's what I felt like was really missing at that time. It's not missing, but it's not as maybe prevalent, just like more of a feminine style that isn't like too dressed up or too prudish or like too something. Like I just like the idea of like we should all make the most of our lives and our strengths. And I love the idea of like women being so able to do so much, but like as women, I think there's, you know, there's so much that can be, I don't know, like, it's almost like you're not taking full advantage of your life if you're just being a girl. And I think there's so much strength in like the strengths that men and women have. And I just saw like a dress as a symbol as like being up and like being able to do anything, but like in a dress. So I decided to focus on dresses and then it was the Virginia Dare Dress Company. Yeah. Well, I know uh, Chris has one of your dresses and loves it. And she will definitely be sharing more about that too, uh, as the podcast launches here. As far as like moving your operation down from New York to DC, what did that look like? Because I knew you said kind of in the beginning that like these manufacturers don't necessarily want to be found and they probably yes. don't want to be working with people who you know don't really know what they're doing, uh, I yes. guess to speak. By the time you moved your operation, I'm guessing that you know that was after what, two years or so. So you had a firm grasp on what you were doing by then. But what, so was it easier to find somebody to manufacture your dresses? I would say I had a firmer grasp, but not firm yet. I was still needing so much help. So that was still in the development side. And there's actually only one local main company that does this. And I found them through just a lot of Googling. I found another clothing company that was started locally and they referenced who they worked with. So I was able to find it. And the one locally, it's run by a a woman my age and she is like on Instagram and she's wonderful to work with. But that was just the development side. I knew starting out that I had like a good base to launch the company to from everyone I had met, you know, through my wedding photography work. But having priced out what I was creating to do production in New York or in DC, I knew from the beginning that would price myself out of my market. So I worked with someone in DC for like creating the fit and the styles and the patterns, but not for the actual production. I then, after I launched the Kickstarter, I delved into the really crazy Wild West world of overseas manufacturing in Central America. And that's where I did the actual manufacturing once I had. So I did a Kickstarter trying to raise $60,000. I raised the 45,000, which was incredible, but it didn't hit the goal. So I had to do it Again, a Kickstarter is like a needs like a therapy session of its own to recover. <laughs> They're so intense. But I just knew that for me to like make it a success, it had to be sustainable for like price point wise, but not mm-hmm. compromising on quality for like the materials themselves. Because that's the actual fabric used is usually the most expensive part of a garment. And I knew that if I wanted to use higher quality fabrics, I couldn't afford like really expensive manufacturing also and try Mm. to keep things under a certain like I mean they're still expensive but I just didn't want it to be like more of a luxury item that like only a few exclusive people could afford I wanted to be for like all my friends so during when like I was preparing for the Kickstarter launch I had a hero 
of a friend, a hero. Her name's Esther. And I knew that Central America would possibly be a good fit because it wasn't as far as Asia. So you could very easily go in person, but it was a lot more affordable than in the U.S. And I did have a lot of personal ties with people who lived there were like Esther, her father-in-law was Guatemalan and even kind of in the manufacturing industry and lived in Guatemala City. So she had a couple trips to go visit family. And when she was there, as I'm still prepping to launch the company, she started visiting factories for me. And if you want like really the best journal of the business is like my WhatsApp on my phone. Because <laughs> I have like you know video tours from all these factories you know, years of like designing and pattern making and fit changes, like all done over like, you know, Skype and WhatsApp and texting and Facebook Messenger. It's just like I've it's an amazing like time capsule of all that. <laughs> so she like helped, you know, source factories. I had been emailing factories all over the world. I had thought it would be a lot simpler than it was. And it's like they don't want to be found. They don't want to work with people like me. And for very good reason because it's just a lot of handholding to do, but eventually we found a place that was a good fit. And then the Kickstarter came through where I was pre-selling, you know, dresses that people chose their size, their style. And then I was purchasing fabric that I'd sourced from these different trade shows in New York. Some was coming directly from Asia. Some was coming from the States and I was exporting it, um, learning that whole import export, you know, world of paperwork. And then we went down and finished the development, did like lots of fittings with lots of people. And that's always been a big part of the design process is making a sample dress, like a prototypes, and then trying it on people and then seeing what needs to be fixed and then changing the pattern and then like remaking a new sample and retrying it on and trying to help solve like some kind of normal fit problems that people have with normal clothes. So we got to do that in person, like at the factory. And so I worked with that first factory for the first year and a half or so. And then the manufacturing world is just hard. Like it is, factories can be lovely or they can be like the cause of all of your headaches. And I've just kind of had a lot of really big blows on the factory part of this business all along the way. And that first factory ended up just kind of failing me in a big way. And then I had to move to another one. And that one was much better to work with, but was a lot more expensive. And then they ended up raising their prices even again. And early last year, I was just getting really tired from so many like intense supply chain difficulties. And I had decided for better or for worse to like do this from scratch. You can hire middlemen or you can hire factories that will store all your fabrics and trims. You can hire middlemen who like do all the management for you. You can like hire people in between to help take care of some of these like battles. But I just really wanted to learn how to do it. I wanted to know what was happening. Like I didn't want to be dependent on someone else, like that my business was in their hands. It just meant that there was so much to learn and I had to learn it fast and learn it as it's happening. Like as we're at a factory, we're figuring out like what we were supposed to have done and we're trying to get it done like that day. And like, it was so on the job constantly. Thankfully, because I was doing it in Guatemala, uh, my friend Esther would travel with me both to interpret, but just to like really help go to battle with me because it was like hard. It's just, you really have to like fight for it. It's just not business done like as usual. It's a really different world. And like, we like the people we worked with, but it's just a really rough industry to get like things made with factories. So did you end up keeping your manufacturing in Guatemala? 
After about two years, I decided to switch early last year and kind of along the way, like as personal life does, you know, just like a lot of hard things had come up in like with my family and I was just like getting really tired and I just knew like something had to change, like something wasn't working. And I just had spent so much of my time on the kind of manufacturing difficulty side that it was really slow to release new collections. And then it was not ideal. And I really miss being closer to the process. Like when things are so far away and then you remove that people are in between like helping you. I just wanted to do it more myself. I just I love the creative process. So beginning of last year, I decided to find a way to bring manufacturing to the U.S. without compromising like the materials I was using and also without raising the prices and finding something that was close enough that I could get in a car and go on like a day's notice and go to work and not need to fly somewhere and have it be like too logistically difficult. It just felt like the logistics were not letting me win and I needed to simplify in every way possible. And that took about nine months last year of just searching, meeting, visiting, developing. So it's both the factory side and the pattern maker side. So it's like if you're trying to build a house, you need the architect and you need the builder and they have to get along. They have to work the same way. They have to both really care about what you care about. You have to not take their word on how good they are, but you know, go through the process for yourself to know like what they're actually capable of. And are we on the same page and what our timeline is actually going to look like. And just going through that process has been really special though, because it kind of restarted a different way of doing the business and really simplifying it and has let me be so much more involved in every part of it. So I don't have to have people like on my behalf, like going to visit and check on things. Like I can go and check on things. And that flexibility, it was what was so missing. Like And that matters more than, you know, some cost savings. And in the long run, like, you know, flights to Guatemala, when we went, we'd have to like have a bodyguard and like a bulletproof car and like, you know, a driver. And it was so many layers of like difficulty and cost that, you know, it could probably all balance each other out pretty well where, you know, paying more, but having it be a lot simpler and less involved in the long run is kind of same thing cost wise. So I was able to do that and then just launch the first collection with that new factory that's not only in the US, but it's here in Virginia, which just completes like, I don't know, the perfect kismet nature of it all. So that released just before Christmas and working now, actually just about two hours ago, I got another shipment of the new dresses in and working now on you know the next phase. And it does seem like maybe I found like home for the business on the manufacturing side more long-term. Yeah, that's amazing. And what a story and what a, um, I mean, just the amount of pieces that go into producing a physical product and clothing in particular has got my head spinning for sure. So, I mean, it would be really interesting to see kind of that time capsule of WhatsApp messages and Skype messages or what, you know, whatever, (laughs) just, just to see, I mean, because I mean, that's just so much to learn in the last couple of years. And you have just, I think, such a broad experience from all of that time that you put in uh, taking buses up to New York City and then bringing it back down to DC and then doing some stuff down in uh, Central America. And I mean, it's incredible. So, you know, we'll wrap up here. But before I do that, I would love to know just in terms of like marketing to what you found to be maybe your most effective marketing channels. I assume that of all the things that we talked about today, there are a lot of differences between this and photography. <laughs> but 
I do wonder if maybe on the marketing level, your experience, you know, as a wedding photographer maybe plays a little bit or lends itself a little bit more to marketing your product. Great question. And that's been really one of the most, like I tell others who are kind of like going through the same path as I am, like manufacturing something is the hardest thing until you have to then market it. (laughs) (laughs) Especially as a photographer, like you're so used to going really deep with like 30 clients a year, Mm. you know, maybe 40, but like 40 customers a year. And now you have to go to try to find like 800 a year. And even with wedding photography, I think I had it pretty easy on the marketing front. I had some good connections with wedding planners and venues and publications. So I kind of never had to do like the wedding shows. I just like kind of always had enough work and I never sold a physical product. So once like the Kickstarter was through and the manufacturing was through and I had like a huge storage unit filled to the bursting with like dresses and then I fulfilled all the orders and I launched the online store and then I was like, oh, now you have to like learn how to market a product as like a store. And I just hadn't like put nearly as much thought into that part as like launching the business and like, you know, the story and getting to that point. So once I finally had, it was kind of a a really big learning curve on that front too. Just how to find people, how to bring them into a story, how to learn sales, like how to both believe in a product and know that it's going to make their life better and then communicate that. So that's been a really big learning curve as well. Thankfully, I tried and I think just, you know, it's good advice for every entrepreneur is just like play to your strength. Mine is like, I like to make things look beautiful and I like to make friends. Like I just love to meet people. So I took a very relational approach to it and it's just been a slow build. I didn't put a lot of money, like hardly any into like Google AdWords or Facebook ads. I've just really done like word of mouth and then lots of like ideas. So I do a lot with not quite direct mail, but like things sent in the mail, either as surprises or that people can opt in for where it's just like a beautiful little package of things that tell a story or, you know, are a little gift or have some of the fabric swatches or give some information about the product and trying to make a personal connection, whether in person, also through events like shopping events, or I'll do like flower picking days or like picnics or like, I love like kind of doing different events that kind of unite people with like a common denominator for just an appreciation of beauty. And then also really leaning into providing over and above like service to customers, trying to really like niche in on the aesthetic of the customer too, because I know that like, if I have a very specific kind of customer, everyone who sees the company can know like which of their friends are like a Virginia Dare kind of girl and just trying to help form that identity even for them where, so I mean, right now, I think it's probably social media wins out a bit, but like, it's just, you know, ahead of word of mouth, you know, just referrals. I'd like to get to the point where almost like to gamify the referral process, but not like in a normal, like give $10, get $10 kind of way. I would just love to even make that kind of part of a beautiful thing. And there's some ideas I've been working on, but I just really focused on like really telling a clear story of who our customer is and knowing that they're looking for it and they know others who would agree and feel the same way. So I think in a way, you know, wedding photography is the biggest help for that because so much of that craft is imagery is storytelling and is 
bringing people into something beautiful they can appreciate, even if they're not ready to buy. I mean, so many people, I find it's like a year long, like process of when they first discover and kind of get involved or start, you know, commenting on Instagram until they actually make a purchase. And so I just have to have now having the experience that I do have, thankfully, I mean, at the beginning, I was like panicking of like, this is a terrible idea. Like no one wants to buy stuff. And now realizing like people do, they're just not always ready. And we just have to keep bringing back to mind, like what it is that you can offer them. And at the right time, usually it's like if they have a trip coming up, if they're doing, you know, an engagement shoot, if there's kind of like a special event, they'll often like say that like they're saving up for a dress like tied to that event or if they're going to be losing weight, like it's their gold dress or if they have like something special in their life, they kind of equate like they want a dress for that thing. So I think it's more about finding more of those people. And then when the time is right to have something beautiful for them to wear and just all along the way, just like sharing beauty and bring them into the story and helping learn from them what I can do to make the company better. And then being patient to know like when the time's right, like they'll know what they want. So having a little bit more time to discover that for myself does give a lot of patience to the marketing now to know that it's a little bit of a slow burn, but that's what I've just found like works best for who my customer is. And I kind of have to let them dictate how the company goes about the marketing process. Sure. Yeah. And I think that word of mouth is so powerful. And sometimes when we uh, take a product to market, that's a little bit more mass market than, you know, let's say wedding photography, where, like you said, it's very relational. You're diving deep with, you know, 10, 15, 30, 40, maybe 50, like clients yourself, you know, I mean, of course, if you have associate program, it's a different ballgame, but the ones that you work with individually, you know, that's probably the upper limit. But I think even for products that have a kind of a more mass market, like word of mouth, building relationships is still super valuable. It is, I think, a slower burn. It builds interest, you know, more like a checking account and less like Bitcoin. (laughs) But at the same time, you learn so much, I think, from, you know, actually reaching out to people on an individual basis and listening to them and hearing their feedback. And, you know, of course, I'm a big fan of some cast a wider net methods, you know, like obviously one of my companies, we run Facebook and Instagram ads, but I do think a lot of what you said, I think people should note, like people aren't ready to buy usually when they first learn about you, you know, typically you're going to have a certain amount of time that passes before somebody's ready to purchase. And so, it takes nurturing and it takes time. And that's why things like email and mailing addresses mm-hmm. and phone numbers and things like that are so important because you can follow up with people and help them along that customer journey so they actually get to become customers. So I think we're going to have to have you on like a year from now or uh, two years from now, because I'd love to hear just, I mean, the growth that happens between now and then, and especially on the marketing side and the building story, I think was just so fascinating. So we'll have to follow along. Love to hear more about too, just like the different stuff you have going on. So if you're listening, I almost called you Virginia, Rebecca, tell us, (laughs) tell us where people can learn more about you and uh, the Virginia Dare Dress Company. Oh, awesome. Well, let's see. So the website is virginiadaredressco.com. The Instagram is the same. And then my personal account is Rebecca, spelled R-E-B-E-K-A-H, RebeccaJMurray.com for my website. And then also on Instagram for my personal account, RebeccaJMurray. Awesome. Well, of course, all of those links are going to be available in the show notes. So check out that to learn a little bit more. And Rebecca, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. 
Oh, thanks so much, Davey. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to DaveyandKrista.com.